Hello and welcome to Free Speech Nation, the podcast with me, Andrew Doyle. I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Kate Kopstick. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Kate. Uh, Kate is a, a writer, broadcaster, actor, comedy critic. Uh, she's been writing for the Scotsman newspaper for 22 years, largely reviewing shows at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. She's one of those critics whose uh, name, if it is attached to a positive review, can uh, sell out your show. Not if it's a negative review, I should say, because you have a reputation for being quite severe when you want to be. I'm truthful, Andrew. Truthful. Truth. That's all that matters to me, is the tr getting the truth out there. Do you ever, because I remember in my early days at the Fringe, people told me, they warned me about you and your reputation for being quite severe. And like you say, you just say it as you see it. Yeah. Um, have you ever had the situation, though, where you've, you've, you've had to be confronted with acts that you have completely annihilated in a review and then you've had to deal with that situation? Well, um, very early on, uh, I had, uh, there was a guy who threw a punch at me. No. And somebody threw a pint of beer over me, or at me. Right. And this was an act? Uh, this was a friend of an act. Okay. A friend of an act. So talk me through what happened there. Well, I, there was, a, this is, might even have been my first or second year, and there was, uh, there was a, a female double act. I also have a horrific reputation for being negative about women. Is that right? Is it, is it justified, this reputation? No, I'm negative about terrible comics. And um, certainly, not so much now, because women, you know, I think women are finding their feet. Mm. But uh, early doors, yes. as they say, I, I just got very tired hearing people talking about tampons and thinking they were right on the edge, the cutting edge of comedy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, there, there was an awful lot of women, basically their entire act was, aren't men terrible? Right. Uh, and uh, some of my best friends, all of my best friends are men, actually. Uh, but I, and, ah, okay, I'm happy to shoot myself in the foot here. Go ahead, that's um, what Yeah, I know. Um, I do think that, again, it's, it's not happening so much now. Yes. But... It is my opinion, and only my opinion, <laughs> uh, that women think about things an awful lot. They take, I'm generalising, uh, they take things more personally, and they think about it more, and they, they, they kind of read things. It, it's that whole thing of, you know, I've never been in bed with a guy who rolled over, propped himself up on his elbow and said, what are you thinking? But kind of women well, do it quite... I don't think it's that controversial to say that there are general differences between men and women and that that could translate into comedic styles. But I think, like, because when I was growing up, most of my favourite acts were female. There were people like... Really? Joan Rivers? Yeah, yeah Joan Rivers, mm -hmm. but people like Victoria Wood, French and Saunders, the mainstream people, Roseanne Barr, uh, Madeleine Kahn I used to love, Rita Rudner. So all the people I was watching as a child were, la were largely female, actually, on TV and things. So I never really got that. But maybe the yeah, comedy I, circuit I, I, is a different I beast. I think it was when women started coming through, as it were, and it was a big deal yeah. to be a woman comic because we didn't have that backstory that they have in America of the, you know, the borscht belt and the, those, uh, those variety stages yeah. where uh, the, the Joan Riverses and all that lot cut their teeth. And also the, the, the bigger part of female comics came through with alternative comedy. Yes. 
And so it, it didn't have that stand and deliver approach, again, that uh, the Joan Rivers and whatnot did. I'm a yeah. huge fan of Joan Rivers and I remember practically every time someone in the, the, the new wave of comedy spoke about, yeah, she delivers like a man, like right. that's a bad thing. Yeah. Now, I kind of think that straight stand-up, don't mean that in a sexual preference. I, I didn't interpret it as such. Um, straight stand-up is quite a male, it's quite a male thing to do. It's stand and deliver. I suppose early on then, the, the, this female acts on the circuit had to find ways through that. Yes, absolutely. And they, I mean, uh, uh, quite a few, because they were brilliant, brilliant female uh, character yeah. acts and all those sketches and everything. And I'm, um, I, I'm about to, uh, you know, I did that, I did a radio show about taboos in comedy. Yes. And this is, this is a bit of a first. You're getting, you're getting a scoop here, Andrew. Okay. Um, I, I was talking to uh, the Beeb about doing uh, a kind of exploration of the argument that stand-up is killing comedy. Okay, that's very interesting. Uh, and especially that? at the at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, well. At one point, there was all there was all kinds of comedy. Yes. Sketches, you know, all sorts. Um, comedy this, comedy that. Comedy was could be an addendum mm. to another skill. Yeah. Um, and there were double acts and all fun stuff. Yeah. And comedy was just about laughing. Yes. Uh, and again, if you look historically. Uh, at comedy at the fringe, when the first comic shows came to the fringe, they weren't stand-ups. Mm. They were they were sketch groups and all kinds of we and comedy magic and all kinds of stuff, but not stand-up. Yes. And bit by bit by bit, stand-up has taken over. So now, when you somebody says uh, stand-up, when somebody says comedy, you're going ah you know, bloke with a microphone or person with a microphone. I mean, it very much has at the fringe, hasn't it? Totally it's in fringe. And it's, it's not just the, the thing that is stand-up. It's the attitude that comes with stand-up, yes. which is, I don't think it's a very nice attitude. You know, you, it, you know when, when all of this was trees, um, I, when you used to go to the fringe, there was a, huge uh, spread of types of comedy and, and it was really quite a cooperative place obviously yeah. it was a much smaller place yeah. and um, and then uh, I think about 1991 I remember because I was there yeah. doing a show uh, The Future of Comedy is Here The Independent that was uh, me that we were talking about as a critic though as, no, as, as a no. As a performer. As an hilarious performer. Yeah. See how wrong. <laughs> you see, this how wrong is what critics can yeah, be. This is why you should never bother about uh, getting a bad review. Yeah. The, the in, somebody in the Independent who was paid to write reviews yes. 
uh, wrote, looked at me and said, the future of comedy is here. And that was in 1991. How wrong can you be? Critics can make very hyperbolic statements from time it's to time. It's ridiculous. Um, I, I, I don't so, know why people pay them. So and did you prefer it back then? Like when, when it was more, more, there was more variety in terms of the comedy? Loads of, loads of variety. Loads of creativity. Yes. Loads of flinging stuff at the wall to see if it will stick, yeah. which is what you want in a fringe theatre, so a fringe um, uh, festival. It, it should be about trying out the new, it, and it, what it shouldn't be about is commerce. Obviously, you've but got it to... absolutely is. I mean, it's, it, it, people now call the current Edinburgh Festival Fringe a kind of trade fair, yes, where is. where various agents and agencies take up their acts, but they make sure they they preview them to death, so they make sure yeah. that it's the first date at the Edinburgh yeah. Fringe Festival is the most polished, slick, commercial thing. But of course, as you're saying, back in the day, people used to go up with ideas. They would use the yeah. month to kind Completely. of try or, them out, or, or they would, you know, you you. Any of the times that, that I, I went as a performer, you would do uh, a preview. You yes. know, you'd, you'd do kind of like... Because that it was, a, it was a, um, a culinary comedy murder mystery. It was a play yeah. during which we cooked and served the audience a theme buffet. Okay. Uh, and each of the two people in it, we played about six different parts each. So um, there were various technical things to get. So you did kind of like a technical rehearsal. And then you'd do a dress rehearsal with chums. Yeah. And obviously, if at that point they went, this is shit, then it was ever so slightly too late. But then you would go up, and part of the part of the buzz yeah. was going out there for the first time and going, this might be dreadful. Uh, absolutely. But I think the reason why people become terrified of bad reviews is because of the commercial ramifications of that. You know, you know. It's, and it certainly wasn't. This is... The other thing, there was, there's a difference. You know, everybody always, you know, there's the the cliche that people go up to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, to get drunk, to get famous, and to get laid, yeah. and not necessarily in that order. Yeah. And that was absolutely true. And uh, two out of three was considered not bad. Yeah. Um, and most people didn't get famous, but uh, you you kind of it, it was more uh, a playground. Mm. And even the the professional people, the people from BBC and whatnot, they were much more relaxed. And they would come and see your show because a friend of theirs had said you were marvellous. Yes. Much more relaxed. And people did. They would go, ooh, uh, we're, we've got a pilot on. You quite often at radio, Radio 4. And um, I didn't know anyone who knew anyone who had any kind of, PR, because you, there was this feeling that if your show was any good, word gets about. Well, I remember you, you actually, a few years ago, you, you made a statement saying that any, any act that didn't have PR, couldn't afford PR, you would prioritise. Or, or, Absolutely. Or oh, yeah. Oh, and I always, I put my um, email address, uh, everyone's got it now, I think, yes. because... A lot of people can't afford it. It's so, it, it's so expensive. Of course they can't. And when often not worth it, by the way. And who, well, exactly. Who would you rather have on your really rather impressive uh, show yeah. on this channel, somebody that you, you, some PR had said, this person is absolutely amazing, they're incredible, they're wonderful, they're, you know, buzzword, 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 buzzword. Yes. Or somebody that you had heard 
about from someone whose opinion you trust yeah. or someone you'd seen or someone you'd read something by them. Yeah. PRs are paid to lie, basically. Yeah. Exactly, and to, and to use their contacts yeah. to get people in. So what, but the fringe as it is now, so we, we accept and move on that it's become this kind of commercial beast. But it's, do it's, we, Andrew? Well, do we? Why should we? Well, I suppose there was the, the development of the free fringe, which was to push back against that sort of idea where acts didn't have to pay for it the was. venue. That was a start, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, the, 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 the first great, the first few decades, marvellous. Uh, and then, you know, so uh, comedy came along and it was sketch and it was this and this. And then the awards came along. Yes. And that kind of ratcheted it up yes. uh, a notch. But still, they were... It was a qualitative thing, yeah. you know, they, they, it wasn't about, oh great, now I've got a badge I can wear when I can walk around the trade fair. 1991, I reckon, I, I was there, um, this, the stand-up invasion, I kind of started in earnest. It yeah. was with, and I'm not blaming them, but um, Avalon and Off the Curb yeah. and the big boys. So the, the big agents, basically. The big agents came. And they, you know, they were very, very successful. I mean, John Fode is a guy who's pretty much given his life to yeah. comedy and making other people huge stars. Well, I mean, they've been very. Avalon even have a, a comedy brochure which is m mocked up to look like the official festival brochure, and it just says comedy. Do you imply that all the comedy shows mm. are in here? But of course, it's just the Avalon shows mm. in there. It's kind of ruthless that sort of they approach. Are, of course, they're ruthless. Uh, as is off the curb and increase, you know, that more and more, um, I don't think anyone is as big as either mm. of those organisations, but what happens then is that they're big, they're hugely successful. They have the clout yeah. uh, to say to venues, well, just as a for example, uh, you've got Scott Capuro, he's going to sell out. Uh, if we let you book Scott, you're going to have to take Andrew Doyle as well. Yeah. Now, he's quite new. He has his off days, but, <laughs> you know... Many of them. You know, book him for the month and you'll get at least 10 decent gigs out of him. <laughs> but, <laughs> if, yeah, but if you say no to Andrew, you're not getting Scott. Right. They can, so they bring their own acts so through they, in they that way. They bring their own through act, yeah. which, of course, is good uh, for the act. And bit by bit, people see... Well, well number one... Comedy became very quickly kind of the new rock and roll. Yeah. And with that came an absolute tsunami of people, generally young men and some women, who didn't really want to be comics. They wanted rock and roll. Yeah. And comedy, uh, I think, 90s, and certainly in the noughties, became, uh, if you want to get on telly, you want to be, what you want to be as a television presenter. Yeah. Stand-up comedy gigs, if, you know, you, you're halfway decent-looking and uh, you seem like you'd be controllable. Yeah. I someone who admitted that to me. I was living with someone in Edinburgh one year who I didn't know very well, and she said to me, I hate doing stand-up, I'm doing it because I want to be a presenter. And my agent is telling me to constantly do it. But she, she had absolutely no interest in yeah. it. I think, that, I think that happens a lot. It was a, uh, a very much a means to an end. And there's, you know, why not... The but is that there are people in there who genuinely want to do all kinds of comedy. Yeah. And 
even if they, I was about to say just a stand-up, I don't mean that, even if they are specifically a stand-up, people who want to do different things and achieve different things and say different things mm. with their stand-up. And it has become so commercialized, so one track, yeah. uh, and, and so much of a trade fair that you, you, you will, you don't fit in, in you, you, you'll just be wiped out. So what would your advice be? If you're, if you're a young, genuinely vocational stand-up who wants to do stand-up for the sake of the craft of stand-up, not because you want to be famous, not because you want to be a, a, a TV presenter or anything like that, but going up to Edinburgh seems so daunting because you're going to lose a lot of money and you haven't got PR and you haven't got the, the, the fashionable agencies after you for whatever reason, maybe you don't look quite right or whatever it might be. What would your advice be? Uh, Last year, I would have, or last year, the last time, or, or, or let's say three years ago, yeah. I would have said, uh, go to Edinburgh, do the free fringe, mm. um, be the best that you can be, flyer yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you flyer yourself, you get people in, they love the show, then every single one of them is a flyer, a living, walking flyer yeah. for you. Uh, do not go to the loft bar, much less the abattoir. Yes. Do not let anyone, just never answer the question, so how many did you have in? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Don't play uh, the games, in yeah, other don't words. Don't play the games. I should clarify, the loft bar and the abattoir bar are the industry Let's bars. The industry bars. And, but you need to know before you go up there yes. that you really want to do this. Yeah. That, because it's you know, tough. This is the thing that people it's forget. It's, it's, it's a slog. Oh. It, but it's also great fun. I mean, I'm not denying it's that. It's a slog. If, what I keep kind of reminding myself is, if you go away from the comedy section, yeah. it's wonderful. It's everything it used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are nice people out there. There are decent <laughs> people out there. There are real fringe creative people out there. They're just not doing comedy. See, because I've stopped going to the performers' bars precisely we for this reason. No, I'm sure I'm not missed. I, I think a lot of it is to do with I do. I find it really annoying uh, when I see networking so openly. And I know it's important people have to do it, but people do. I know it's a cliche, but people do genuinely look over your shoulder to of see they who they should be talking to. Did I just uh, see Andrew Neil walking past there? It's, it's exactly that you yeah. see. Uh, it's, yes. but, but it's it's, and I find it really annoying. So I just go out other way. Yeah, other well, yeah. and that's. Eventually, I kind of believe it, it might, if, if the fringe is still there, mm. it will shake itself down and the, the good guys, as it were, will go, we don't need all the, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the key question. How I, 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 sorry to keep interrupting. Okay. I, I genuinely, again, I thought, and I know, uh, some of my friends did as well. I thought, oh, this is this is the reset yeah. of the Edinburgh Fringe well, the COVID, because the because the COVID is going. It's a, it's a year off. Everyone's had a shake up. You know, it's like finding out. Oh, I'm not immortal. Yeah. Um, uh, I am, by the way. As long as I keep drinking the blood of virgins, I'm fine. Um, I, I think some of us crazy Pollyanna-ish types yeah. thought it would be a reset. Yeah. I mean, I remember early on a few months ago about something about going back to grassroots 
What idiots! Absolute rubbish. The the first thing that happened when they went, well, we'll be starting again, and you're far too young to remember. There's a, a show called Open the Box, Pick the Box. Anyway, uh, hosted by a guy called Michael Miles in the 60s. Yeah. And at the end, the kind of end game was this thing called the yes-no interlude, yes. where at all costs you had to avoid saying yes or no. Right. So when Nicola Sturgeon started turning the whole COVID thing into like a ghastly version of the yes-no interlude, yeah. and nobody knew what they were doing, uh, and people started going, well, maybe we can do that, maybe we can do that. I'm thinking, that'll be my grassroots. Yes. And then, of course, the Fringe Society, I'm not sure if I could, even on a podcast, Andrew, say what I think about the Fringe Society. Well, anyway, don't give them trouble. your money. Really? Um, okay. It's £220 even this year with no brochure. Yeah, so this year it is a, well, it's a scaled down version of the Fringe, isn't it? That's what it is. But what? I'm asking you as a, as a comic, as a journalist, as an intelligent human being, and as someone with his finger on the pulse <laughs> of the comedy industry across the board. And of course, in Edinburgh, it's, it is the biggest. I, I don't know that it's the best anymore, but the very first tickets, when they put out those headlines, first comedy tickets at Edinburgh Fringe go on sale. Yes. Live Nation. Yeah. Live nation they own the o2 arenas yes. that's what they do they do arena they are a global brand they started in america and they they're they're everywhere and what the dickens are they doing at the Edinburgh Fringe. Well, it doesn't seem very fringe, does it? That's the, that's the point. I'm glad you picked up on that, Andrew. <laughs> when you go there, though, you do... I mean, I, you know, I, I, even in, in terms of my own experience of it, it, it's changed immeasurably, and I think now it is, it is so corporate. And, and, and even, clearly, as you've just pointed out, the pandemic hasn't, hasn't resolved that, really. So how, how can we change it? How can we um, uh, re-energise that kind of exciting, exuberant, uh, try-out, you know, knockabout... Quality. What you're saying is you'd like me to take complete control of the fringe, isn't it? Took control of it. It would. It would. Uh, well, it would change, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's the diplomatic. Number one. Thing. No venues over 400 seats. Okay. Uh, you know. What, oh, 2,000 seats? That's not a fringe. Well, you know what that does is that these big names come into those massive venues and suck away all the audience, potential audience, from other people. And part of the joy of the fringe is surely seeing someone you have never heard of in some yeah. tiny venue, uh, down some alleyway, and just giving it a go. And sometimes that can be really incredible. Sometimes it can be awful. No, I remember the very first time on the um, recommendation of a friend, I went to see uh, a young kind of... Acid Queen comic yeah. uh, called Andrew Doyle. <laughs> Nobody knew who he was. Brilliant. I mean, and I was—I think I was in some. It was a back alley. Yes, it was a back alley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we went and did the show. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it was, but it was. It was, and you were. I remember you were nervous, and it was your. And you'd been taking. That was the other thing. You've been getting advice from various well, other That was comics. one of the good things. So I, I, I got advice from Scott Capuro, yeah. uh, you know, and, and other, lots of other comics around the stand, particularly. Yes. The stand yes. is a comedy club up there. And that was one of the good things about it. You can't really do that no. when you're in a, a bar full of producers all networking with no. each other. And, and no. that sort of thing doesn't really... Or I don't know how it happens, to be honest. No, because... And if they do give advice, I would be willing to bet that the next 
whoever it is that they've seen over your shoulder that they go and talk to, they'd be like, just, just been talking to Andrew Doyle. And he does not know what he's doing here. You well, know, there would be some truth to that. He said to, to me, that. you know, how can you tell if the... And there are no stand-up comics who talk like that, no, by the way. Not. But anyway, so I'll talk. <laughs> but, you know, they'll be, just talk to Andrew. Hasn't got a clue what he's doing. Don't know what he's here. I knew he'd come up too soon. The, yeah, it's... Yeah. it's Coming up too soon, that's the other thing. Oh. Idea that everything must be perfect and polished before you go there. And actually, like you say, that's not what the fringe no, that's not really is about. Also, but also, um, it is... Uh, I, I know there's various things there, students. Can I say balls? Yes. Oh, marvellous, thank you. Uh, it's, it's kind of regarded in comedy terms like when your balls drop. You, it's your puberty. Right. You go to Edinburgh, tragically, it's, it seems like nobody can see past doing an hour. It used to yeah. be that some of the most fantastic names, they did a split bill. Yeah. Three comics doing yeah. 20 minutes each or whatever. Wonderful. They could all do their best stuff. Mm. They could support each other. It, you, you, um, uh, you, you kind of uh, put, each got a shot at yeah. doing, at being the headliner. I did a, I produced a, a thing uh, with Mitch Ben yes. and Hal Cruttenden and a wonderful guy uh, who, uh, Aberdonian chap who doesn't do stand up, uh, Mitchell Anderson, he doesn't do stand up anymore, he's very funny, genuinely funny. But it meant that people weren't crapping themselves to do an hour. Yeah. It also meant the audiences weren't forced to listen to ten, the, you know, the ten minutes yeah, yeah, that yeah. most of them have with some of uh, some other material you've got offline some well you know yeah. isn't uh, isn't Tony Blair a bastard uh, some and it was a great system I mean I did two shows of that kind before I did Ooh. a solo show I did one with uh, Ben Vandervelde and James Acaster ah, at, at the Tron quality stuff and then I did one I did one another one with Ben and a, a third act called Joe Lead Farah and that was at the it was a very small pub it was a free fringe venue yeah uh, uh, which was supposed to be run by the Russian Mafia or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, I didn't the look... The best ones are. I didn't look too much into it. But those shows were so... I had a much better time those years because there was no pressure. I knew that, that uh, you know, critics are unlikely to come in for a, that sort of thing anyway. But audiences were just willing to give it a punt. It was cheap. It was either free or the, the Tron was only a fiver. That was part of the £5 fringe back then. So this was... That, and that was the kind of, I suppose atmosphere and and system that you want to reinstate if we can reinstate Completely. it you know you need because uh, because comedy did become the new rock and roll and house and rake and just about yeah, everything yeah. else people the audiences at the fringe started changing yes. they were the people it wasn't people who wanted to see new stuff weird stuff it used to be you know, you'd go, and if in the month you managed to sit beside somebody really famous in a bar, yeah. um, see something utterly brilliant and see something completely crazy and appalling and dreadful, yes. so that, you know, when you're sitting down at Christmas dinner, you go, that's what you I want. saw this guy. Um, and <laughs> you it, want to see the crazy. You yeah, want to see the stuff yeah. that, that do, often doesn't work, you know? Exactly. I'm, I'm going to, I, I am going to go and see uh, a performer called Phil Zimmerman mm -hmm. uh, this year, uh, in August. And I, I saw him in 1999, I think. Yeah. And he was part of... Uh, a triple header, having just said how good triple headers are, this triple header was three terrible 
people. Well, they were then. Yeah. And, uh, and there was one chap, it might have been Phil, who basically just did pigeon impressions. Right. Now, <laughs> I, that, I'd kind of love to see now. But Not the, for an hour, though. But no, no, but it was a split bill. Okay. Um, and then, at that time, I don't know, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready for it, but I wrote in the review, <laughs> I would rather have my ovaries removed through my ears without benefit of anaesthetic than see any of these three comedians again. Now, this was what I was talking about when you could be quite severe, right? That's quite, that's quite a... But that sold their show out. They got yeah. more people going, oh my God, it must be terrible. And uh, Phil still uses it on his poster. Brilliant. So you're going to go back and see... So I'm going to go back and see him. He no longer... He's actually... He's still weird. But now I have developed a massive taste for weird. I, I think it's... because it's rare, right? That's yes. I think it's two decades of, of, you know, people just doing same old, same old. Well, part of this leads into what I wanted to ask you about, which is your show on BBC Radio 4 about taboo, mm -hmm. about comedy and offence. And you're talking to all sorts of comedians in that show about the parameters of comedy and all the rest of it. And I think what you're sort of describing there is, is, is comedians playing it safe a bit too much because they, in a sense, they, they don't want to do the crazy stuff that could get them into trouble because why torpedo your own career like that? I, I mean, I think there's two... The, the comedians who, like the girl you were talking about, um, there are so many comedians now who don't really want to be comedians. They want to be famous. They want to be rich. They want to be him off the telly. Yeah. Uh, and ideally, they want to be, um, I, I don't know, hosting some kind of panel show uh, or the Great British Bake Off or whatever. Yeah. And they really don't have it in them to do anything, you know, the wilder shores, because sure. nobody know... Um, um, I mean, maybe when this lot start doing panel shows and whatnot, they'll go a bit crazier. But at the moment, mainstream television doesn't look at the Wilder Shores because they don't want the Wilder Shores pre no. presenting a panel show. No. You want to be seen as packageable. Yes. But again, the, the, the taboo thing that we were um, exploring, I, I, think, I think a lot of the time... Uh, I, I think some of the, the, the more out there comics are just not going to get a television gig. No, that's, that's and I, I think that people do worry about... Well, the thing that has changed everything, more than the fact that uh, the very young grow up without a shell... Yes. You know, they're like little baby turtles. Yeah. And so just about anything can hurt them. So, and now they have a voice. Social media yeah. has given them a voice. And I'm not saying for a second that it wouldn't be wonderful mm. if everybody was lovely to everybody. Sure. Uh, it just would. It would be nice if people were nice. People are not... It's not, nice. not necessarily human nature. And whining about it is not going to make them nicer. There might be ways, you know, to make that. I'm a great believer in the power of experience. You know, somebody's a racist, come with me to Africa, hang out with me. You soon, you know, you're, you're not going to be a racist any longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people go, uh, oh, uh, 
you know, oh, backs to the wall, Andrew's in. Yeah, yeah. Just take them, hang out, bar. hang out with, yeah, hang out, well, it might be, it depends on the gay bar. Yeah, but no, uh, hang out with some, some friends and, you know, or I don't think I've ever so, tried that, that method and had somebody go, not go, all right then, that wasn't as bad as I thought. So are you saying that young, young people just don't have, um, uh, uh, they lack the resilience, and they want to, and they want to play it safe of their own volition. Not, not necessarily pressure. I, I think industry. it's it's kind of a, a cyclical thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's the, what I was going to say before I got distracted by myself and started talking about young people <laughs> was social media has changed everything. Okay. Because with social media, we are no longer getting all our information from people who know what they're talking about, even remotely. Yeah, yeah. What we're getting is opinion and feeling and instant reaction, yes. you know, instant. Something upsets you a little bit. Do you know? And how does that affect comedy then? Well, number one, uh, uh, Twitter yeah. can destroy a comic far quicker than any critic can. Because of things they've tweeted themselves or because, because of? Because, uh, well, for example, uh, Tanya Lee, who was on the, the show, for ever since I've known her, I'm not saying she never writes new material. She does. She's just got a great opener yes. where she is, uh, she said she's a Canadian. Uh, as she says, she used to be red hair. She's gray hair now. She's a little person. And um, she goes, don't, you know, um, don't, don't be, feel sorry for me. Uh, I know what, uh, because I'm mixed race. And people are going, what she's talking about? She's a little bit. I was just thinking how small she is. And then she says, uh, oh, yeah, I'm a white girl. And then she turns around and she has the most glorious backside. It's huge. And she goes, I'm a black girl. I'm a white girl. I'm a black girl. And she did that for years. Yes. I heard her talking about this on your yeah. radio show. And yeah. then, so, and everything. Fine people think it's hilarious. Everybody thinks it's hilarious. She did it on an online gig. Yeah. And of course, Mrs. Recreationally Upset of Paddington or whatever, this yeah. is racist, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And Tanya Lee was really, what? And she, on, on the, the show, she explained, I mean, number one, I don't think it's racist anyway, unless pointing out that a lot of the, the black girls I hang out with, and certainly, wow, you should see my ladies in Kenya. Uh, unbelievable. Big, beautiful, amazing. So you don't think yes. the joke in itself is racist anyway? But that could be, but, but she, then she explained, and I think it would rather kill the joke if she took time to explain it all before she did it, as it is her opening joke. Uh, when she came down from Canada, she lived in San Francisco for a while, and she'd never been anywhere that was as racially mixed as that, because she came from white bread, you know, Canada. And she, of course, all her life people have pointed and gone, oh, look, isn't she little? She said she used to walk down the street where she lived in San Francisco and there would be, uh, yeah, she lived in a very black and Hispanic neighborhood. She yeah. said they were going, whoa, look at that ass. Hey, you're one of us, sister, work that booty. Yeah. And she was like, oh my goodness. She said it felt so inclusive, inclusive of uh, little people, red haired people, black people, brown people, everything. And she, she just loved it. So she started doing it as yeah. part of her work and then, and that was for uh, years, and now 
people. I mean, it wasn't a huge number of people, but it only takes one person. Well, that I think is the key thing: is that it's not as though everyone has suddenly decided to be offended by everything. No, it's that there's a handful of people who have decided to be very vocal about yeah. it, and particularly yeah. online, they can make an awful lot of noise. Oh, and also, oh crikey, it's it's. Um, <clears throat> Okay, I'm very sorry for what I'm about to say. It's Chinese whispers. I, I, I don't know what the PC term... I think Chinese whispers is okay, isn't is it? it? Oh, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's that thing of uh, passing on and every time yeah. somebody says it, it gets a little bit more... You know, like the, the well, the joke is, and the, in the battlefield, the commander says, uh, sends a message, uh, send reinforcements, mm. uh, the colonel's going to advance. Yes. And by the time it gets to the headquarters, it sends three and fourpence, the colonel's going to advance. So I also think that every outraged person adds their own little level of outrage. Yes. And then it kind of reaches a critical mass and it becomes unstoppable. And that's when people get cancelled cancelled uh, because no matter what the eventual truth of the matter is yes the 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 destruction has been done and all anybody will remember about that person is oh you were the one that there was all that hoo-ha about well there's that there's the, the 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 way in which social media can be used to to spread a perception of a comic that isn't rep representative of what they actually do but there's also the thing that's going on in the room itself i've noticed and other comics i've spoken to have noticed a new new kind of heckle so whereas the heckles used to be you're rubbish, you're not funny, or that a drunk thing or someone trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. There's the new uh, pearl clutching kind of heckle, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you shouldn't be saying, this. I mean, I had a woman standing up and saying, you are being misogynist. And that was at the stand. And that was because I was doing a joke about Theresa May. Now, Theresa May was prime minister at the time. She does not need protection from the likes of me. She's a pretty powerful woman. But because it was a, even though I'd mocked male comics in the same, uh, male politicians in the same set, because I'd, uh, mocked a, a female, the most powerful person in the yes. country, by yes. the way, um, she decided this was misogynistic, and it wasn't. Now that, I, I, I consider it a kind of Mary Whitehouse kind of heckle. Yes. That, you know, it's a, and that's a different kind of thing to deal with, because then it creates a kind of kernel in the room of doubt. People are thinking, is this a problem? I, I saw it as well at the stand in Glasgow, and it was a very famous comic doing a set, and someone stood up saying, you're being racist. They literally stood up and said it. And he wasn't being, they'd misunderstood the set basically, right. but it created a tension that actually, he, he, and the reason I'm not naming him is because he wasn't able to win the crowd back after the tension that had happened there, and he's a very good comic. So that kind of heckle is new, I, or not Yes, no, no, no. I, do I, you know I, what I mean? Up to a point, and I'm not sure where that point is, of course, it's wonderful that we're, we're not doing horrific jokes about how uh, awful and lazy or whatever some certain demographic, you know, section of people are. But that's not, um, that's, I mean, <laughs> good comedy, really good comedy, kind of, I'm not saying it transcends that, but if the big thing about the joke is that is the, the group who's the butt of it, yeah then it's just not a good joke. And it's also not a common joke. I haven't heard jokes like that for a, no. for a long, long time. And, and I, I don't know any comics who would want to stand up and just mock a minority group. That, I don't think that's a thing, no. really. Um, 
So in, given that the case, why is there such a lack of faith among a certain type of audience member that they don't give the comic the benefit of the doubt? They don't trust them. They don't think maybe they're doing something a little interesting here. Maybe I'm not getting it. Mm -hmm. they, their mind goes straight to, I've heard an offensive word. That means it's offensive. Yes. It's a kind of very literal minded interpretation of comedy, I suppose is what I'm saying. Absolutely. And it's, I'm, I'm, I, I'm I kind of have two totally opposing uh, opinions here. One, okay. which is, it's just words. Yeah. It doesn't really, if I sat here and let rip with the most appalling, homophobic, you know, um, yeah. um, uh, misandric, that's hating men, yeah. um, uh, it, it, nothing bad is going to happen to you. No, it could be hurtful. Oh, but, 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 but that, in, in a way, you, you could zone out, you'd go, this yeah, woman yeah. has obviously lost control, this is ridiculous. So you could think many things. You don't need to be hurt. Yeah. So there's half of me goes, it's words. Yeah. It's a person standing way over there, okay, they're in a spotlight. But they're standing very far from you. They're not. They're kind of directing sounds. Yes. And if you know, and then, then I start thinking, it's like, if I didn't speak English, I wouldn't even know what those sounds meant. So. So you're saying that, that it's a choice to be offended a, in that sense. Kind. If you've got as far as going into a comedy club. Mm. A little bit. Okay. The, conflict, the conflicting thought is words are so powerful. Yeah. You can do terrible things with words. You, you, jet, you can hurt. Uh, you can stir things up. Yes. You know, words are the starting point for action. And it's action that... So you, you can say racist things. I mean, there's, there's everything from Hitler's Germany. You can say racist things and that begets racist action. I can see that, but, but I think that the context of a comedy club changes that. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very skeptical of this idea that things said in a comedy club yeah. can have that kind yeah, of Yeah, it's a little bit like effect. going into a swimming pool and going, I got so wet. Yeah, quite, exactly. And, it's, and, and as I say, I, don't think it, I simply don't believe that there are all these comics out there whose intention is to incite hatred. I just don't think no, that's no, no, true. I, I think... And it's a completely different complaint. I think there are a lot of incredibly lazy, not very good, sure. badly, you know, bad writers, among, uh, people, even with, with the comics who, who might be headliners. Yeah. Now, that, if, if you, if your jokes are, I mean, we used to call them, you know, cheap. Mm. You pick an easy target. Yeah. And I think up to a point, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, audiences will desert. Yeah, well, they won't laugh. Decent audiences will desert that. And audiences who will sit there, the same, the same people who, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, of uh, arguments leveled against, oh God, the only person I can think of is um, Al Murray, and he's brilliant. Yeah. But when you go to an Al a pub landlord gig, yes. you know that maybe 60% of the audience is going, this is so clever, oh my goodness, this is absolutely skewering the racists amongst us. But there will be at least 30% of people going, he's absolutely right. I don't know why I've made that person Cockney, I'm sorry. But just going, Very and it is actually to Cockney people, I love Cockney people. So um, apples and pears, 
Bob's your uncle. Well, you've just pro proved your credentials there. But, you know, they, there are people who are sitting there going, too right. OK, so that's an interesting question then. So if it is possible or even potentially likely that your material might be misinterpreted in, in such a way, are you responsible for that as the comic? You see now the lawyer in me. Do you know I've got a law degree? Um, it's... There's a hint... I'm, now, I need to know that it's okay with you if I get a bit metaphorical yeah. here. I love metaphor. I'm going for a metaphor. Go it. It's not the best one, but, you know, we're, <laughs> we're on a, a time limit here. Uh, legally, yes. um, if you hit someone on the head, um, nine times out of ten, you, you, the worst you could be charged with is assault. Yes. Uh, because you've hit someone on the head. Now, the tenth person might be one of these people with... They call it, in the legal thing, they call it eggshell skull. Yeah. So hideously, you hit somebody on the head, the, the eggshell skull is crushed, they die, yeah. writhing in agony, blood everywhere. Yeah. Now, the law says it's your fault. It's not the fault of the person with the eggshell skull because you were doing, you know, you should have in your mind, uh, but this, I know Andrew's being very irritating and I would really like to smack him in the face, but he might have an eggshell face. Yes. Um, this is where the metaphor falls down, isn't it? Because now we're talking about comedy, we're talking about words. You don't like my metaphor. Well, no, I think it's a great metaphor. <laughs> but, 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 but it goes back to that point that you were saying, that yeah. actually words are not um, the same thing as violence. And we are living at a time when people think the two things are the same. Yeah. I was up against the wall there, Andrew. I, 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 was, I was plucking metaphors out the air. But no, you're, you're, you're right. And, I, you know, I don't... I think, I don't know, and I know that there are comics who play with that. Yeah. And I know that earlier, I remember something that used to irritate me about, and again, the only one that springs to mind is Ricky Gervais, who used to do uh, material, 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 always being ironic. And, God, well, that's really a belt and braces thing, because you get to say the horrible thing, and then you, you, you end it, you tag it with, I was being ironic, which gets you out the doo-doo. So that's a good example, because I, I've spoken to Ricky Gervais about this, and he makes the point that he is able to defend. But it's, but it's just true. And it's, <laughs> he, he is able to defend every joke he makes. Right. And his jokes are thought through. Yep. And he's not trying to attack groups, but they are often interpreted in that way. Yeah. But, but do you, are you suggesting then that there is, that there are comics who will hide behind humour in order to do that, because my point is, again, I don't know who these people are. I'm struggling to think of an example, and... and maybe, they're, maybe they used to be the case. And I... Maybe, maybe you're saying I'm old, Andrew. No, no, maybe, you know what I mean. You're saying that's it. Ageism, I'm out. Well, people used to say this about Bernard Manning, didn't they? That yes. what Bernard Manning was doing was, was attempting to, to do was, exactly that. Well, um, firstly, I do... I did, for a very short time, I did stand up, bits and bobs. I was dreadful. I was awful. You know, the lights were on. There was nobody at home. <laughs> I had no idea who I was or what I was doing. But one of the things that I knew was that women didn't talk dirty. So and a lot of the early gigs I did were in, like, working men's clubs and whatnot. Yeah. So I could just do, excuse me, knob gags and jokes about sex and kind of borderline offensive stuff yeah. and know that people would be going, oh my God, I can't believe she said that, she's a woman. Right, okay. So I, so I and I do think uh, sometimes, and it, it, in the 80s, certainly, 
pretty much all you had to do uh, was uh, stand up and go Thatcher. Yeah. And oh yeah, standing ovation. And I, I think that there are trigger words and concepts and uh, that you know you can kind of like a little firecracker that it, you, you, you know you yeah. kind of you think oh dear this isn't going well oh we'll do the paedophile joke yeah, yes, exactly. uh, you know and um i 100 percent understand that to 99 percent of people in the surrounding area of here a paedophile joke is just a paedophile joke. Yeah. One percent of people will either have been abused when they were a kid yeah. or no. And I have no idea how horrible that must feel. Yes. Um, to not just to have the, the kind of concept thrown up at them, but to have people laughing. Now, I have no idea what the... How to fix that? Well, you, but you can't possibly guarantee that that something you say as a comic isn't going to have that effect on someone because it doesn't have to be something as severe as paedophilia. It could be absolutely and, anything, and really. Then we're, then we're back to wouldn't it be wonderful if everything was lovely? But it's not. But comedy's drawing attention to the fact that it's not. And therefore, comedy often delves in those areas precisely because it, it is a, uh, I suppose, um, Partly a reminder of why we behave the way we do. It's part, partly a reminder of why there are things we don't say in polite society. Because it's not the role of the comic necessarily to no. be polite. And but again, as a good comic, Andrew, you're making the mistake of... Uh, not mistake, but good comedy, absolutely. Yes. Um, I see. So you're saying there, yeah. are, there are lazy people who just... Yeah, who, who fling it in. And again, that's partly a function of the, the, the fact that... There are so many people now, I think, who are in sta into, especially stand-up. We're back to stand-up. I've never really seen a sketch comedy troupe or a double act or any kind of evolved comedy yeah. be be accused of any of these things. It's stand-up. It's stand-up. That's true. I can't and think of any... Exactly. It's bad stand-ups. And it's because... Um, oh, I'm getting on a roll here. No, and it's, I, think, I, feel, I think I'm saying something quite interesting. And it's because, again, there, a lot of people are in stand-up, because, not because they want to be stand-ups or because they've got anything good to say, because they want to be famous. They want, I don't know. They want to get laid. They want to be impressive. They want to be whatever. Yeah. And they're doing it badly. Right. And yet again, I've I, I got no idea what the the solution might be. I think we are agreed that um, good comedy, decent, you know, when I say decent, I mean well-made, well-performed yeah. comedy, uh, very often is there for a purpose. And if that purpose is not pure laughter and enjoyment and yeah. you feel all warm and fuzzy, then it's saying something. And it's important that it's allowed to see things, even bad things. Well, then that's one of the things that we could do is try to cultivate a society where we don't attack comics who take risks, I suppose. Good comics who take risks. Yes, and, and sure. That's, you know, this is where the the huge, the the <laughs> how can you have real quality? It's like we're back to the Edinburgh Fringe again. There's no quality control, yes. which means you get an awful lot of dreadful cack. You do. You, <laughs> find, you find the gems, and the gems, if they're not known gems, would never be there if 
it wasn't come one, come all. Yeah, well, I go back to that point that part of the fun of the Fringe is that some of it is going to be absolutely dire, and that's, that is part of it. I'm very happy <laughs> in a Fringe. Yeah. I'm delighted with dire. Yeah. I'm a fan of it. Somebody is honestly giving it their all. I'm a huge fan of dire. Yes. I'm a, I, as soon as I can assume, I'll leave it to you to put me in charge of the fringe. No venues over 400, yeah. no PR, no management. Um, uh, and this is a trickier one. No smug bastards. I think that's absolutely impossible, given what I know about the comedy industry. <laughs> that's never going to happen. Okay, so that's that's another. So you've basically solved the fringe. I want to talk about something a bit uh, closer to London now, which is what's happened with Chris McGlade. Uh, okay. So, so Chris McGlade is a uh, stand-up comic who was who performed at the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm -hmm. The show transferred to the Soho Theatre. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very successful. Mm -hmm. So the reviews were great. Standing ovations, all the rest yeah. of it, and now it's been pulled by the Soho Theatre for the second run, and they say it's because of an offensive element to the show. So, what what are your initial thoughts about that? Well, my initial thoughts are what? No. That's my initial thought. Fair enough. Um, Do you want to develop that a little okay. bit? Okay, here we go. Uh, I've known Chris for more than a decade. Uh, Chris is, um, I don't know whether he mentioned he's working class. Yes, working he does class bang on it. about it a bit, doesn't he? Um, uh, he used to do uh, the clubs, all of that. So his approach, his performance style, all of that yes. is, is that. He's done all his shows. <laughs> I, the first time I saw him, I was in an audience of two in <clears throat> the uh, Edinburgh Football Club's uh, um, social club during the fringe during the fringe <coughs> in the in this ghastly bar with you know the sticky floor bars yeah, yeah, I know them well. the smell of stale beer and despair yeah. and <clears throat> he's he's always had the same he is literally the most in your face comic i'm i'm going to move now but pretty much everything he says is said there and can you know you see people going like that? There is absolutely nothing comes out of, of Chris's mouth which is you know for effect. Yes. Although he does bang on about being from red car working class. But this new bit. show wasn't about that. It this new about. show was. I mean, and he's done uh, two or three shows in Edinburgh, all very much in your face. This one, he started doing. He's. Social media. He started getting a, 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 a thing about doing live stuff yeah. because it comes from the heart and the gut, uh, poems. Yes. And then he did this show in 2019, which is called Forgiveness, and it was about his finding a way. It sounds very serious and mopey. It's not um, uh, to forgive the guy who murdered his dad. His dad was. Horribly, I don't know if there's a way to be nicely murdered, but he was horribly murdered. Brutal. Uh, very brutal. And, you know, obviously Chris has thought uh, a lot about this. This particular show was, um, it wasn't 100% I've been thinking about my dad, but it, it was kind of going all the way around the houses and about forgiveness in general. The show was called Forgiveness. So it's about forgiving his father's killer and, and, and applying that to society. And applying that to society in general and yeah. just why can't we, you know, get along. And actually, if once you've done the... Actually, it's what I was kind of saying earlier of, you know, 
well, now I've met you, yeah. you're not so bad. Yeah, uh, and, and I didn't see the show, but from what I understand it, it was also to do with the idea of the way that people, well, the tribalism of social media, the way that people judge yeah. each other, yeah. the way that people judge working class people, or fail to understand yeah. the exactly. way they talk to and, each other. And from afar, and there is uh, one thing, I, th I think one of the things that, that uh, Chris and I definitely agree on is, uh, well, you know, I mentioned I was going to try and ban smug. Yes. I'm going to try, I want to ban uh, hypocrisy as well, and that might take quite a lot of the middle class, the recreationally educated think, middle classes. I think they would be, with, with they would be eliminated. And, and that's one of the things he talks about, how they, they are making the rules now, and that applies to social media. I mean, yeah. uh, when I came down to London, uh, I was, uh, uh, I'm from Paisley, just outside Glasgow, and people in the BBC, like, oh, <laughs> ask where where she's living. Um, and I go, Shepherd's Bush, <laughs> ask, ask her to say book. And I go, book, <laughs> and you're like, no. Then that's of a time though. That's that, that's moved, we moved away from that. No. You don't no, think it's not because although now there are certain accents and whatnot that are in. Yes. Still, there are judgments made. There was um, I was just talking to a charming chap yeah. uh, out there about how uh, the Brummy accent is seen as thick. It is. You know, you hear someone talk. Well, that so so. Well, Chris is exploring so, a lot of this, so, so, but he but he is a lot, and. The, the show really w w did uh, very well, M wonderful, wonderful so reactions. And then... Why the, why the controversy? Well, he, in between, while COVID was running riot, yeah. uh, he wrote a, a poem uh, called The Right to Hate. Mm -hmm. Not a good title. It makes it sound like something it's not. It's basically about uh, the way the, the, as I say, recreationally educated middle classes um, uh, want to, want everyone to speak and think the way they do. And they, they have no, they have no respect for people who speak in other ways. I know exactly, yeah, you know, yeah. for, uh, I don't even know what I'm allowed to say now, but I, I know that growing up in Paisley and then moving to Glasgow when I was at university, yeah. there, there was one of my best friends, if you asked him what his dad did, he said he runs a, he runs a shop which sells many varied things uh, by, uh, and owned by a person from the, Northern Indian subcontinent. Okay, and, um, I know exactly what the phrase is, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, and he said that if you asked his dad, what do you do? You could, so there yes, was, there was a part of the show that was dealing with the way in which racial language is used among working class. Yes, very differently. Right. And that was, very, that was a, a part of a focus in the poem as well. He wrote the poem and uh, he did a global version. Yes. And uh, where, uh, you know, there were lines like, uh, don't look at me because I, don't look at me funny because I look different from you or something. And Tanya Lee recorded it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Global. Wonderful. He put that into the show. He added that into yeah. the show. And um, there's a line, there's a couple of lines with the, the, the P word for the shop owning yeah, yeah, yeah. gentleman. And a uh, couple of other words that he removed because he went, oh, you can't say that. 
I think there was a reference to the Rothschilds, which was, and, inter and so, which was so interpreted that, that was, as anti-Semitic. They were taken out. Yeah. And then there was a line that, that said, you know, if, if I, along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, uh, if I say that the Rothschilds can affect the way stocks and shares rise and fall in the world, yeah. uh, it's true. And I'm not saying that because they're Jewish. I'm saying that because they bought more money than God. That's a massive... Yeah, but, um, but, but, but the point is he was explaining what he was saying within the context within of the, the context, He did specifically say yeah, it's yeah. about them having a load of money. No, and um, uh, the, the Soho had booked him for a second run. That extended run with this poem in the middle with the bit yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about the Rothschilds. Yes. And... Um, it was, a, at, I think, something like a week's notice. They phoned him up and said, the show's been pulled. Yeah. And uh, it, he was devastated. He was with his um, uh, manager, uh, Mike Lee, yeah. and uh, I think got in touch, and Soho Theatre were adamant. They had another, they had a board meeting to discuss it further, yeah. and Chris said, I'll take the whole line out, because I took lines out for you before. So it was resolved, really? Uh, and they went, well, no, that's not good enough. I don't know why. I um, said, that's kind of not good enough. Uh, the show's cancelled. Well, isn't it because there had been such a uh, an online storm about it that even if he had changed the content of the show, uh, the Soho Theatre would have still been in the firing line for putting the show on in the first place, off the back of the outrage? Well, was there... I, I don't... Because I didn't see outrage about that line. I, 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 well, I could be wrong about that. I thought that there was some, and that's what that, that's what the Soho were responding to. But I could be wrong about that. Um, I, I, but I, I, you think it was a complaint from within? I think I think it has to have been a complaint from because I've never seen anything online um, complaining. Certainly not. I mean, I know there were some people who were uh, in, in the earlier version yeah. uh, worried about the use of the p word and yeah. what. But there was a Conservative MP retweeted the poem and had to take it down and apologise because of that line. So that's an example of, of, of yeah. So that was that was during the Ferrara, and that's why I think there were there was some pressure from externally as well, and that's why I think. I mean, I spoke to Chris about this, and he said that he felt um, that the Soho were as much a victim of the cancel culture as he is, and I'm not sure I agree with that. Because I'm not sure I agree with that either. Well, only well, if if they are, then that's very frightening because because yeah. that would mean that they were. They genuinely believe that if they'd put the show on, they would lose funding. Yes, I think that could be and part of it. And that's terrifying. Yeah. That's not just shutting down, uh, did you know he was working class? Comic. Yeah. Um, that's a, a major, a, a major world-renowned, uh, gosh, I didn't know that. And if that's true, I'm, I'm very shocked. And I'm also sad that the people who run the Soho Theatre would... Oh, different if they agreed. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if they thought... But surely they should be standing up for artistic freedom anyway. Absolutely. You know, I thought they did. Well... I you know, I thought they did, and I... Again, you know, there was, there was a... a bit of me, and I have nothing to substantiate. This is just my thought. Yeah. Uh, I thought if somebody important had said to them don't like that then uh, some strange loud working class bloke from red car who's yeah. basically a 
part-time stand-up comic is easier to get rid of with very little fuss than to risk going ahead. And, and again, that's scary. And that proves part of the point of his show. Absolutely, totally. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's true and... Well, we, we can only ever speculate about because why they made... Because we all have... Um, um, what, what is it? Uh, unspoken bias yeah. and, and whatnot and... Yeah, but I think the principle stands that, that, that theatres in particular are, uh, and venues should be standing up for the rights of their, oh, of their acts absolutely. to push, push boundaries and, and, and do whatever they need to do in terms of artistic yeah. expression. And then if you, you know, it's, it's quite, you have to quite go some to book a ticket, pay for a ticket, yeah. come into the centre of London, get back out of the centre of London. It's quite easy not to see anything right. that's on. At, and it's quite easy not to see anything that's on telly. Well, I, I do think, I come back to this, I think if you don't like something or are likely to be offended, the option is always there not to watch it. And that sort of solves the problem, doesn't it? It's, it's why I never succeeded as a stand-up comic, I think. Well, that's a good reason, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm go we have to, we have to, we run out of time now, but I do want to, before we finish, I don't want to mention your charity, because this is your charity, Mama, you. Mama Biashara. Mama Biashara, it means right. businesswoman. I just, I hate the word charity, but it is a charity, thank you. It just sounds so patronising. But it's accurate, right? It, it, yes, it, well, it's a, it's a registered charity, and we... Well, uh, why don't you tell us about it, and what, what no, it's in Kenya. And, and you spend some time... I went there, it all happened by accident. I work with uh, women who are uh, physically or sexually abused, pretty much all poor women in Kenya, yep. uh, plus kids. Um, child rape is very, a very good friend of mine. When I went, why do they rape the children? Mm -hmm. You know, just little. They went, oh, copy. If, you, if I do not like you, I will touch your child. I'm like, really? Okay. Well, that's, that's that explained. Well, it's very so, disturbing, isn't it? And, um, and, and then there's loads of, uh, there's a huge, basically, if you're very, very poor as a woman, uh, you become a sex worker uh, because you've got to, yeah. because ultimately uh, your landlord, uh, when you say you can't pay the rent, will go either you're out or um, you can pay another way. I see. So they pay another way. Which is standard in poor areas. It's, it's, been, it's been the case in absolutely. England as well, That's you know. Absolutely true. Yeah. And thanks to the fact that uh, we rendered the country pretty much rotten with Christianity, um, th that's it. You're beyond the right. pale. Uh, that and uh, th there's still in a lot of communities, oh, there's uh, when a man dies, uh, when a when a man dies, his brother inherits his wife. Uh, there's okay. huge amounts of uh, child brides, all of that. Stuff. So old, old so, fashioned patriarchal ideas. Oh, massive, massive. Okay. Um, and uh, they think feminists here are hilarious, right. hilarious. They call them the pink pen ladies because that's the kind of thing we get worried about. And um, so... Because they have real problems. Because they have actual problems. <laughs> right, okay. um, and I actually took them some big pink pens. They loved them. They right. went, do they write? Then it's a good pen. Mm -hmm. So uh, now I've been doing it for about 12 years and women, they find me, because it's kind of, it's me and uh, there's four unbelievable women in Kenya who help, uh, and we, you know we get messages and bags of flour and whatnot because yeah. you, in a lot of places, if someone knows you're asking for help, they'll kill you. So uh, we, I meet the women. Uh, we, they usually uh, now they they come in groups because there's safety in numbers. Okay. 
especially if you're an abused woman. And uh, uh, so I meet with them. I go, we've got safe houses all yes. over the place. And uh, sometimes I wear a hijab, which I hope doesn't offend Muslim people, but uh, if folks see an old white woman wandering around, yes. uh, it arouses suspicion. Um, we ask them to come with a business plan. Yes. And uh, then I, I know so much about setting up businesses selling rice and whatnot, you would not believe. Uh, it needs to have a really good going profit. Uh, they, they tell me where they need to go to be yeah. safe. Yeah. Uh, we work out what it's going to cost as long as there's a good enough profit. Usually about 12 women. And 12 women usually have about 50 kids between them. So you, set, you, you encourage the women to set up businesses on their own, well, in other I, words? I, I pay, I, we buy. Once we've got a list of they're going to sell this, yeah, this yeah. is what they need, we buy everything. Yeah. And then uh, the women, quite often uh, a farm truck, we've also got fleet, fleets of yeah. uh, guys who work off the books with us. Uh, they go to the place where they will feel safe, mm -hmm. they start their business, and, you know, women are amazing. They're incredible. Yeah. Working class, poor women are unbelievable. So the last thing they need is me floating around going, how are you feeling? Yeah. You all right? Um, and, and then uh, the money doesn't ever come back to Mama Biashara, but what they do is within with the next two months, I go and visit them. Mm. And I always say, you spoil my money, I will come after you. Right. <laughs> Which, okay, it's not exactly Oxfam, but... Um, uh, and it's, that's not ever happened yet. And then in four months, they need to have added another half dozen women to the group, and they do. And then the group split, and we've so got thousands. So you you sort of sow the seeds for them to sort of yeah. be, be independent. I yeah, think. it's like a, a sort of a reverse pyramid scheme yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are, Mama B is kind of these women's only or maybe last best chance, and they don't mess it up. Yeah. So there's no, there's no, you know, uh, what what do they call it? Capacity building. They've got the capacity. Yes. They don't need capacity building. They don't need anything other than working capital and somebody who believes in them. Yeah. And a chance at a safe life, and they're amazing. Well, it sounds fantastic, and um, I think uh, clearly everyone involved. Twenty quid to set up a business, Andrew. That's all it is. Mm. Well, I don't have any change on me. Uh, that's what they all say. But do uh, so where can people uh, find this and and? Uh, well, if you look, uh, we've got a shop. All pretty much all the money, uh, because you know I don't understand. Some people don't like me. And, uh, <laughs> people so, you've reviewed normally. So we don't. Yeah, so we don't have that many big donors. If there's anybody, I think I saw Nigel Farage. He's minted, isn't he? Um, so uh, uh, there's www mamabiashara.com uh, and then we have a givey donatey thing yeah. and wonderful.org so you just go to either givey or wonderful type in mama b uh, or come down to the shop which is in shepherd's bush only if you're going to be nice and buy things fantastic that is uh, mama biashara so do check that out i love the way you say that say it again mama biashara <laughs> is it correct uh, no that's correct wonderful Kate, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast and uh, join us again next time for Free Speech Nation.